please turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Straight talk about leadership. This is part two. Now, you know, some people, they come to a portion of scripture like this, and it's like, okay, this thing after another, after another, after another, and after another, and it's like, well, you know, whatever. I don't understand why this applies, and why are we spending, basically, it's going to be two and a half weeks on the qualification of elders and deacons. Why would we spend that much time when all it is is a list of stuff there? Well, remember, God does not waste his words, and what he has preserved in the word of God for us to know is very important. Otherwise, it would not be there. He didn't, you know, one day think when he's given the word, he didn't look at it and say, oh, you know what, that's not thick enough. Let me think of some other words I can put in there to thicken it up. All right, that's not the way it is. We have exactly what he wanted us to have. Now, straight talk about leadership. This is part two. We're not going to do a big review of all the things we covered last week. It would be impossible. Just go back and listen to that. But we are going to pick up where we left off. But let me introduce this portion by saying this. Now, I know we are living in a day today that where what I'm about to say, somebody will probably get upset with it. And that's okay. I'm only asking you to do this. Get away from opinion Get into the Word of God, study the Word, and see what you come up with, okay? And I don't mean this in an arrogant way. I think you'll see what I'm trying to say, though, because what I'm trying to say, I believe, is what the Scriptures say. The local church, the local church. Now, there's the church around the world made up of all believers, regardless of what group you belong to. If you're in a denomination, that's your denomination's not the issue. It's have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior apart from any works? Do you have that eternal security that only Jesus Christ can provide? If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're part of the body of Christ, okay? No matter where you are, by the way, no matter whether you go to a church or not, that doesn't make you saved. To be a part of a local church is not a requirement to getting saved, Once you're saved, you should be part of a local church. If there is a local church in your area that is doctrinally sound, and if there isn't a local church in your area that is doctrinally sound, you need to start praying for one or move to a place where there is one. Or if you're qualified, start one yourself. And we will be glad to encourage you and give you any materials or point you in a direction of some of our materials that may benefit you as far as starting a local church. I had just somebody call me this week, not call me, they emailed, again, another email, say, hey, you know, I'm watching you, and uh, this person was in Greenville. Greenville, is it South Carolina? Greenville, South Carolina. Now, here's what they said. This is not an ignorant person. This person's a chaplain. He said, do you know of any sound churches in Greenville that are clear on the gospel? All right. Well, I didn't know of any. So then I checked with a couple different resources I have, people who are traveling speakers and so on and so forth. They didn't know of one in Greenville. That's the Bible Belt. You see, this is serious. This is serious stuff. So go start one, y'all. Okay. No, the local church is the God-ordained vehicle to reach the world for Christ in the days in which we live. If you read the New Testament, that is abundantly clear. 
It is to be the hub from which the work goes out. And it is to be organized because if it's not organized, the work is not going to be done effectively. This requires leadership. It is not based, listen now, this is the thing that gets people upset. It is not based on the internet, but on people meeting together with other people. Now the internet is an extension and tool for the church to use, okay? And yes, if there's no church in your area, by all means, tune in, watch us, correspond with us. We're glad to help in any way. We're glad to be a blessing to people, okay? And that's fine, and I get that if there's not a church. Listen, let me tell you something. There are people who will not come to our church services here because it's too hard, and they live in St. Cloud, So, oh, we're so glad you do live streaming. Let me tell you something, friend. You need to be here, not there. Why? Because if you look at what the local church is, that's important in the plan of God. The internet is an extension and tool for the church to use. It is not a replacement. Now, I know of people, listen, these are saved by grace people. I know of people who are actually speaking and doing videos on YouTube saying the local church is not necessary. We have all we need on the internet. You're disagreeing with God, brother. You're disagreeing with God. First Timothy 3 verse 1 says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop or an elder or an overseer, he desires a good work. A bishop then or an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, sober-minded, that means given to hospitality, apt or able to teach. Now, verse 3, we covered verses 1 and 2 last time. But let me just say this. Remember, okay, the word blameless. The word blameless is the key to the passage. The word blameless means above reproach. It literally means there's nothing to take hold of. That's the idea. Beyond justified criticism, it means that he has a consistently godly character. And I thought about it this week. Yeah, you know what? There's a word that kind of encapsulates that. It's the word integrity. But this is spiritual integrity. This is spiritual integrity. So a man needs to be blameless above reproach. And really everything you read after that falls under the banner of blameless because they're all characteristics of somebody who is. You understand what I'm saying? So let's move on. Number 10, and by the way, we've covered nine of the qualities. Number 10 is this, no striker, no striker. It means a contentious, quarrelsome person, violent person. A striker is someone who is controlled by pride, by the way. Angry people are usually controlled by pride. Not always, but usually. Why is that? Well, basically it's because they get mad when things don't go their way. Well, what is that? That's really, it's, it's stemming from self-importance is what that is. I find it interesting that this follows not given to wine because part of the definition of that given to wine is actually related to brawling. And we know in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 from last week, it says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Strong drink produces brawling. We all have heard many, many times, and maybe some of you in the past have been involved, hopefully not now, in a barroom brawl, a barroom brawl. 
Yeah, it's a good place to get in a fight. Go to the bar. Drink. It's amazing how many people, how many fights happen there. See, folks, wine, alcohol produces brawling oftentimes. Number 11, not greedy for filthy lucre, not greedy for money, not greedy for money. You might say, is that a problem in churches? Many ministries, that's a problem. The leadership has got that as their, you know, there's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. There's just something about, it's right up there with, with sexual perversion, sexual impurity. It's right up there, this issue of the love of money. And there are some pastors, they'll leave their churches and they have a way of, of they've set it up to where they, when they leave their church, they take the money with them. These small churches, they clean out the bank account and take it with them. Okay, they don't have a right to that. They don't have a right to that. But there are some greedy for filthy lucre. Not greedy for money is what it means. This is not only mentioned here, but also in Titus chapter 1 and also in 1 Peter chapter 5. We won't go there. Let's move on. He's patient. This is not easy at times, folks. Can I tell you this? It tries sometimes a, a pastor or an elders or the, the, the board, the leadership in the local church, their patience is tried, but different situations. And many times there can be things such as false accusations where the name of the church and the leadership is being smeared in the community. Tell you what, it's hard to be patient when those things take place. And what's it take? Not much. Twitter, Facebook, just throw some lies out there. They'll catch fire. They'll catch fire. But how do you know it's true? Right? How do you know it's true? No. Needs to be patient, though. Be patient. God's in control. Again, it's not easy at times, but something the Lord will provide. There are many times when this can be very challenging, especially if you are being unjustly criticized. And that happens. Now, let me tell you something. We have a wonderful local church here, okay? And I'm telling you, some churches, for some pastors, that is a nightmare existence for those pastors and their family because those churches are awful where they're at and they're mistreated. People say, well, there's an opening. This church is looking for a pastor. Okay, look at the history. Find out before you even consider anything. Find out the history of that church. How many pastors have they had? Or you hear this, well, they just don't seem to be able to keep a pastor. They just haven't found the right man yet. Well, sorry, I got to take the side of the pastor on this. Maybe the church is not right. If you're going through pastors one after another after another, there's something wrong with the church. Now, I know there's plenty of men who are messed up and they have issues, okay? Can I say this? Local church, it can be a messy thing. Because everybody, from the leadership down, you're dealing with sinners saved by grace, but they're still sinners. They still have an old nature. So we're having to deal with that as well as trying to accomplish the work of God. That's not always easy. And that's why we have to have checks and balances, and that's why we have to have integrity and godly leadership, and that's why we need to take care of problems when problems come up. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's not... Listen... You're looking at a pastor who does not like to have confrontational meetings with people. I don't relish that. I don't mustard it. I don't ketchup it either. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. But it has to be done. There are times when it has to be done. And no one dislikes it more than I do. But 
there's sometimes there is no victory except through confrontation. And you have to do it. You have to do it. 13, not a brawler. Whoa. This doesn't mean he's not willing to stand and contend for the faith. More about that in a few minutes. But it is a fighting spirit. It's somebody looking for a fight. Have you ever seen some of these? Well, I only have one term for them. They're mean Baptists. They're mean Baptists. They just, I mean, it's like, all right, I'm ready for you. I'm ready. I'm standing for God. Come on, I dare you. Come on, challenge our our church. There'll be bloodshed. Come on, I'm ready for you. This kind of, oh boy. No thanks, no thanks. Years ago, I had somebody call, or he might have emailed. Yeah, it was through email. But the guy, well, maybe he called first. I don't remember now. He wanted to pick a fight over our doctrinal statement. You believe that? Pick a fight. And what it was is, that number point one, it says the Bible in the original documents is the inspired Word of God. Do you believe the Bible's the Word of God or don't you? What's this original document stuff? And, all, and I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. So I gave him an answer. I gave him, a, there's a, a quote from a Bible college, and I don't even know if the Bible college is still there, but there's a great quote in their doctrinal statement. And of course, this guy who wanted to pick a fight was King James inspired. In other words, the translation work is inspired. Listen, we use the King James, right? That's what we use here. We believe it. We believe it's an outstanding translation. It's trustworthy. That's why we use it. But we don't believe the translators were inspired like the original writers. Oh boy, didn't like that. Do you believe it's a preserved word of God or not? Well, is you know, he just wanted to fight. Just wanted to fight. Gave him an answer, shot back at something. I gave him another answer, shot back. I said, I'm not arguing with you. I've said enough. And then I think, I wonder who this guy is. So I did a little research on it. And uh, there was a picture of him. And he's a married man. He has a family. And I'm thinking, I need to pray for his wife. I can't imagine being married to somebody like that. Well, I think he's a brawler. If not outwardly, inwardly. And folks, I'll tell you what, that doesn't help the church one bit accomplish its work. We ought to be peacemakers as much as we can be, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? We ought to be reconcilers, bringing people back together, getting them to forgive one another, to confess their sins to one another, to love one another as much as you can. I say, well, I believe we got to stand on the Word of God. I'm getting to that. Just hold on. We're going to get there. It's right here in the Bible. But not a brawler. Don't be a brawler. Don't be picking fights. You're not being a hero of the faith. Number 14, not covetous. This not only means greedy for money, but I believe it also includes the sin of materialism. I see this as an indictment against the prosperity gospel preachers that we have today. This is a mark of the last days, by the way, this prosperity gospel stuff to where God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise according to them, which means that you give them money so they can continue buying their Lear jets and fly all over the world and talk about how sacrificial they are and you need to send them your seed money so That way you'll be blessed and you'll have prosperity. Let me tell you something. The only people who are prospering financially through the prosperity gospel preachers are the preachers themselves. Okay? Listen, years ago, we were trying to start a church in North Florida and I was doing pest control as an occupation. That bugs me to this day. But anyway, (laughs) 
One of the houses that I did in Jacksonville, I would go there. They were working. I had the key to the house. I would go in every month, go in, do pest control. There were all these tapes. Back then it was tapes, cassette tapes. Remember cassette tapes? Back then it was cassette tapes. There were cassette tapes all over one of the tables that they had in their house. And they were from Oral Roberts. All into this health, all into the prosperity, all this kind of stuff. He's a false teacher. False teacher, okay? Works for salvation, false gospel, false theology. Why do you need a hospital on your university's campus if you're a faith healer? What's wrong with this picture? But you know what? Here are these people and they're given, they lived in this very, very poor home. I guess they had, could afford pest control because if they didn't, the bugs would carry the house away. But I'm thinking to myself, they put all this money and they've supported, given all this money to this false preacher, this false teacher. How sad that is. How sad that is. Hold your place and look with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I heard recently that uh, supposedly Benny Hinn has forsaken the prosperity gospel message. I don't know if that's true or not. Okay, and he says, God's sick of that kind of stuff and all this. I'm thinking to myself, you're going to give all your money back that you've sucked out of people? 2 Timothy 2, 1, look at this. It says, but there were false prophets also among you, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily or privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious or destructive ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Watch this. And through covetousness, greed. This is their driver. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, that means deceptive words. It's interesting, the word feign here, we get our our word uh, plastic from it. It's fake is the point. Artificial. And with feigned words, make merchandise of you. (laughs) They see you as a cash cow. They're going to make money off of you. And they do it with deceptive lying words. This is real, folks. There are people who are this way. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. They're in for trouble, God's saying. These false teachers who are manipulating people into getting money and stuff from them, they're in for trouble when they stand before God. They're in for trouble. Not covetous. We are not to be covetous, okay? Number 15, one who rules well his own house. Verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Titus 1.6 says something very similar. It says, If any man be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. It is interesting that in some churches, the worst kids are the preacher's kids. That's unfortunate, but it happens a lot. Now, there can be many reasons for this. And while there are challenges... By the way, there is extra pressure put on the pastor's children. There's no question about that. That's not an excuse for rebellion, though. 
It's not an excuse for raising brats and rebellious children. While there can be challenges, well-behaved and godly children of leadership should be the norm, not the exception. I know this is painful for people, but it's true. Where have we gotten the idea that children are supposed to grow up to be rebels to the things of God? Where do we get that? I have known and know now many preachers' kids who are serving Christ with all their hearts. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it should be. Many times rebellious children come from either the hypocritical or legalistic tendencies of their parents, especially dad. It goes like this. Now listen, I'm a pastor. You better behave. If you don't behave, it could cost me my job. They may not or they may say something like that. You behave. You do right. This kind of thing. That's not good parenting. We should be more concerned with their character than our jobs. Very sad. This is often the result of a man living a double standard, which is hypocrisy. There's a lot of that. Or he may just be incompetent as a leader, which means he shouldn't be leading the church. I know of a man in Florida who was the pastor of the church in Florida, one of the churches that we were associated with. And the church had a Christian school, big Christian school. The worst kids in the school were the pastor's kids. They were kicked out of the school. He continued on as the pastor. Now listen, folks, I'm not trying to be a judge because I know there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of life changes and everything that goes into it. But the fact of it is, listen, you got to face the music. That board should have never allowed that man to continue on. And this was ongoing. Listen, kids are going to flub up at times. We know that. They're going to make mistakes. Kids are kids, okay? Don't expect little children to act like godly 30-year saved spiritual adults. They're not going to do it. But at the same time, they need to be under control. They need to be submissive. They need to have a right spirit. Yet some of these things, they're hard. But nevertheless, this is what the Bible says. There's no question. See, if a man is not impacting his children, here's, here's getting back to the point, 1 Timothy 3, verse 5. Notice it says, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Do you understand that's the point here? If a man is not impacting his children spiritually, how will he impact the church spiritually? If the family does not take him seriously, how will the church take him seriously? Let's move on. Verse 6, number 16. Number 16. I don't like lists. Well, I do, so bear with me. Not a novice. Not a novice. Let me tell you something, folks. There's a lot of problem and violation of this in the church today. A novice is a new believer. Literally, the word novice means newly planted. Newly planted. It's a babe in Christ is what it's getting at. This is not necessarily relatively young in age as much as spiritually young is the idea. They're immature spiritually. Now, yeah, you want somebody who's age-wise mature, making mature decisions, but you there's worldly, age-wise, oh, that person's older, they're, they're, that doesn't qualify them. The church is something spiritual. We're dealing with spiritual qualities, okay? This is not necessarily relatively young in age as much as spiritually young. 
This can often happen when one who comes to Christ, and listen, has a lot of charisma or has some influential career out in the world, and so they come to Christ, or they're talented, as an example, such as musically or athletically or a movie star, and they come to Christ, and all of a sudden, boy, they get promoted some way. Oh, we want you serving on our board, or this or that. What? They're a baby. They just got saved. Listen, you can be 60 years old and be a spiritual baby if you just came to faith in Christ. You've had no time to grow. You're newly planted. You may be qualified out in the world, but you're not qualified for the local church. That's going to take time. That's going to take time. If someone comes into leadership too early, it often will go to their head. Pride brings them into the captivity of the devil. Over in chapter 5 and verse 22, it says, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Lay hands suddenly on no man. That doesn't mean you're grabbing them to throw them out. It means like ordination-wise. You're putting your public approval on that man. You don't suddenly do that for somebody. But you know, you see it in the world, don't you? If you've ever watched, and I don't hardly ever see TBN, Trinity Broadcasting, okay? But, but you'll see years ago when I would see it more often, I would occasionally watch it just to see what was happening in that realm, the Pentecostal Hollywood prosperity gospel crowd, just to see what they were saying firsthand. And they would have these people, you know, this movie star now got saved. And all of a sudden, there's some authority, spiritual authority. They're given, they're promoted up. It's just like years ago. I can remember when movie star Robert Redford, he got involved in ecology and you know, the environment and all this kind of stuff. It was like a matter of months and he, he was, you know, they were bringing him out there, interviewing him like he was some authority on the environment. What? It's not magical. Well, I'm a movie star, therefore I'm wise. Anyway, enough said. You make a living pretending to be something you're not and you want to let us lead us spiritually? What is wrong with us today, folks? Or hip-hop artists, and you see them, and they're leading church services and getting up and preaching, and they're supposedly at a conversion experience. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I hope they're saved. I really do hope they're saved. But they have no authority to get in front of people and speak spiritually. What do they know? They don't know anything yet. Oh, man, people get upset over this. That's okay. Go ahead, get upset. I'm pleading for the life of the body of Christ, okay? This is why we're in the mess we're in today. This is why there's moral failures one after another, after another, after another. Because there's no checks and balances. There's no fear of God. There's no way that a novice should be able to teach. And that's one of the requirements, isn't it? What does he know? He doesn't know anything. He's newly saved. And that's not his fault, by the way. See, you can't lead someone where you haven't been yourself. How are you going to teach something you don't know? Well, I'll Google it. Please don't do that. <laughs> 1 Timothy 3, verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. That means outside the faith. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare, the trap of the devil. It's number 17, a good report from those on the outside. See, this is where the rubber meets the road. It is an issue of reputation. 
How a man acts when he's away from the church can tell you a lot about the man. It's easy to be here and behave. There's expectations. We know how we're supposed to be when we're at church. But folks, it shouldn't be any different when we're out of church. That doesn't mean if you're at your worst outside of church, be at your worst in church. No, what it means is let's exercise ourselves rather unto godliness all the time. That's reality. That's integrity. But how a man acts when he's away from church can tell you a lot about a man. This is not only true of the church leadership, but anyone in the church. Folks, remember the leadership comes from where? Within the church. So this is good for all of us, regardless of if you have a position in our church or not. Now let's move on. You might say, wait, I thought that's it for elders here in 1 Timothy 3. It is, but there's one more I want to show you, number 18, and we find it in Titus. Paul gave many of the same things to Timothy as he did to Titus, but he adds something in Titus that I want you to see that's very significant. Go with me over to Titus chapter 1, and here it is. Number 18 is this, holding fast the faithful word holding fast the faithful word. This one is found in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. And I want you to understand the context of Titus 1 is the same as 1 Timothy 3. It is an issue. It is a requirement, a requirement, a requirement for leadership. And sad to say, there is a huge amount of failure on this one today in local churches, particularly a lot of what I would call the modern churches. Holding fast the faithful word. There are some in leadership in churches who never want to deal with any problems or take a stand on any issues. They avoid it at all costs. They don't want to preach on anything controversial. They don't want to come out against a false doctrine or call something an issue going on in the church and preach against it, that it's wrong and all that. Why? Well, they're afraid they're going to lose their job. That takes place in a lot of churches. Now, let me tell you something. One of the, we've got this, can I put it this way? It's hardwired into our church, into our church constitution. The pastor of the church preaches on what he believes God is leading him to preach on. Done. The church does not tell him what to preach on, what not to preach on. If he's preaching the word of God, he's preaching the word of God. Any man worth his salt is praying about what God wants him to preach on. Titus 1 verse 9, it says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, teaching, both to exhort and to convince or convict the gainsayers, those that oppose For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Look at this, verse 11. Whose mouths must be stopped. How are you going to do that when all you're doing is going like this? Hi, God has a wonderful plan for your life. He's on your side. Believe in him today. He's got a great plan for you. Let me tell you something, folks. It's got to include standing on the word of God. It's got to whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. Why? Look at what it says. Ching, 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 keeps the money coming in. Don't get mad at me. This is what Bible says, right? I don't think any of you here are mad. 
Let's break this down. You notice he says holding fast. The word holding fast means to hold firmly, to cling to. In other words, you know what you believe, you are committed to it, and you can refute those who stand against it. That doesn't come overnight. That comes over time. That's why you don't have a novice in leadership position. Not only that, the word exhortation here. Exhortation, you see, is for those who lack understanding. They don't know. They just don't know. So we exhort them. We encourage them in that. They don't know any better. They're probably the ones who simply repeat what they've heard someplace. Uh, Listen, we be patient with that. We're all guilty of that at times, right? Conviction, the word where it says convince, we would use the word convict. Conviction is for the rebellious opposers who believe error and stand on it on purpose. They're committed to it, just like we're committed to the truth. They stand against the truth. God says, listen, in our local churches, we need to stop their mouths. That's not going to be popular, but it is necessary. Why? Because what they have to say is poison, and that poison is not to spread. And it will spread if you allow it. We've had to take some stands over the years, not in recent times, but we've had to take some stands over the years to where we've had to say to people, listen, If that's what you believe, you're not welcome here. You need to leave. I don't like doing that. But there's times when you have to do it. You have to do it because they won't have a change of mind. They won't repent. Convict, you notice, and then there's that word gainsayers, those that speak against or oppose the truth. The ministry of the local church is at times engaged in a literal battle for truth. Battle for truth. Many years ago, I won't go into detail because I don't have the time, and be honest with you, it's an, an emotional time. I really don't desire to visit it, but I will tell you this. Years ago, we had a, a point where we had three different attacks come all at one time on our church. I mean, it, it just reeked with Satan. The stuff was so evil. All of it, if people would just believe what God says, all of it would have dissipated and gone away. But people didn't. It was amazing to watch the, the work of the evil one in people's lives, people being blinded, manipulated, and all this kind of stuff. Listen, when all was said and done, we lost 40% of our church in a matter of probably three to four months. There were people leaving who didn't even know why they were leaving. It's just that they didn't want to be in an unsettled environment, so they left. In Christian love, I say to them, coward, coward, why didn't you stand on the truth? We were standing on Scripture. Anyways, that's another issue. The Lord will take care of that. Here's the point, though, folks. You have to stand on the truth. If I wouldn't have stood, if our elder board would not have stood, and listen, I was broken I was ready to resign, okay? And I said, I told our guys, I said, the bleeding, the way we're bleeding people, if me leaving would stop it, I'm willing to do that. Immediately, one of our elders at the time spoke up and he said this. He said, Pastor, it's not you. It's their carnality. They want to have a corner where they can practice their carnality and you're not going to let them do it. And that's why they're doing this. Anyway, You're intrigued, I can tell. That's as far as I'm going. We don't have time. It was awful, but I'll tell you what. When the dust settled, there was such a sweeter spirit in the church. It was amazing. And listen, it was tough because there were friendships that were broken, and we had people weeping and everything 
over broken friendships, but it had to be. Some of those people, by the way, since we've seen them and they've said, you know what? I wish we wouldn't have left. I wish we wouldn't have left. But it is a battle for the truth. Jude tells us that we should be earnestly contending for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Even in the early church, Jude was written early in the New Testament. Even in the early church, false teaching was all over the place. This is not something new. See, folks, all of these things we've covered as far as elders, overseers, bishops, all of these fall under the overall quality of being blameless. But if a man is not willing to stand up and be shot at and suffer pain and defend the church and defend the truth of God, if he's not willing to do that, he's not qualified to have that position. And there are very few today who will do it because they are afraid of conflict. I don't like conflict, but I'm not afraid of it. I don't like it, though. The local church is God's main vehicle in fulfilling the Great Commission in the world. To do this, there must be organization, instruction, determination, courage, dedication, and the control of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do something in the flesh. This is why God ordained leadership. This is why the concept of God ordained leadership is a must in the body of Christ. And that leadership must be godly. Are we perfect? Nobody's perfect, but we want to please God. Let's close over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This has been in the trenches today. Do you know, folks, why do we do what we do? Here's the whole reason. Because we want to reach people for Jesus Christ. We don't want people to go to hell. In a church that is eating itself like cancer is not going to fulfill the Great Commission. We need to be unified. We need to be properly focused. We need to be real. We need to be godly. We need to be biblical. We need to be Christ-centered because we want to reach people for Christ. Perhaps you're here today. What do I mean by that, reach people? We want to tell you how you can know for sure before you ever leave. Those of you watching over the internet, how you can know for sure before you ever turn this off, where you're going when you die. I want to explain to everybody how you can be sure you're going to heaven when you die, okay? And I like to use this illustration if this represents you and me. Let my wallet represent our sin. Here we are. We're all sinners, all of us, including me. That's why we have all the problems we do because of our sin. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin. For us to go to heaven, we have to be sinless in the eyes of God because the Bible says in Revelation, heaven's a perfect place. Not even one lie can enter. That leaves us all out. We're all sinners. God says we've sinned and our sin must be paid for. If we do it, we're going to have to spend forever separated from God in hell. Nowhere in the Bible does it say good works pay for sin. Nowhere does it say that. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, if the best I can do will not pay for my sin, if I die with my sin, the Bible says I'll be lost forever in hell with no second chances. I'll suffer forever. God doesn't want that for any of us. God loves us so much, hates our sin, but loves us. He was willing to sacrifice his very son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and let him be the payment for our sin. This hand representing 
God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless one, therefore qualified to be our substitute. When he went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment, leaving us nothing to pay for. He was buried and he rose from the grave. He says in the word of God, if you will believe in him, trust in him that he made that payment for your sins, he will give you everlasting life. He'll give you eternal life. He'll put that to your account. The transaction explained here in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, he knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Look at this. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the payment he made is good on your behalf. He gives you everlasting life. If you have no sin, there's nothing to send you to hell. And if you have no sin, there's nothing to keep you out of heaven. So if you've not trusted in Jesus Christ, would you do that today? Well, God loves you, and he wants you to be his child. He wants you to be a child of God. Trust in him. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.